everyone and welcome to PE Talks Africa, a podcast by the Africa Private Equity and Venture Capital Association. My name is Paulette Mbea and I'm a research analyst at AFCA. Today's podcast marks the launch of our special series exploring the intersection between private investment and the advancement of the SDGs in Africa. This series highlights how investors and industry stakeholders in Africa's private equity and venture capital ecosystem are actively contributing towards realizing the United Nations 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. We are delighted to be joined by Ross Strike, who is an investment manager for venture capital in South Asia and Africa at the CDC Group. Ross, thank you very much for your time and thank you for joining us today. Hi, Paula. Yeah, thanks for having me and, and looking forward to the conversation. As am I. Great. Okay, so um, if I may, I'd like to jump right in and start with a brief introduction to yourself and your professional background. So, Ross, it would be great if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, about your role at the CDC Group, and how you came to be interested in working within private investment in Africa generally. Sure. So I've I've been at CDC Group for five years now in in a pretty wide variety of roles, but mostly looking at uh, fund investing in Africa uh, and most recently at venture capital in Africa. Uh, And I'll get into a little bit more detail on on how we look to invest in in the asset class across our markets today um, with a focus on on Africa. Um, But no, my background, I've, I've always been interested in economic development and how we use private sector development to address key development challenges. Uh, and after a few years in investment banking, that's what led me to join CDC Group. That's really cool. Um, especially um, sort of what you've said about working in VC in Africa and that being a um, recent shift for you. Um, so I'll be really looking forward to kind of tap your brain and get an insight into what you think the trends are um, currently specifically um, for ESG and impact investing within venture capital, but also just generally in terms of what's happening on the continent in that space. Um, But if we sort of kick off with the SDGs and start at the beginning, no poverty is the first of the 17 SDGs. So how does the CDC group support fund managers and portfolio companies to address poverty challenges on the continent? Yeah, so just to tackle it from the start, like you said, it's extreme poverty is is obviously the first uh, SDG, and for us, definitely the key goal around which you know many other development objectives are linked. Um, and our focus is is catalyzing private sector development as a key tool to reduce poverty. So supporting businesses that can that can create jobs and provide essential goods and services to customers in our markets. Uh, and so we do this by providing capital through funds, uh, so an intermediated approach, and directly to companies. Uh, and that's across private asset classes. So CDC covers everything from you know, small um, $100,000 investments in SMEs to you know, $100 million plus investments to large infrastructure projects um, across our markets. So very, very broad mandate, um, but ultimately all requires a kind of a systemic and long-term view about what makes economies productive, inclusive, and sustainable. And maybe, you know, one area that's particularly focused for our team, and I think increasingly for CDC, is how do we enable entrepreneurs uh, as kind of uh, one of the key ingredients behind private sector development. And obviously, capital uh, is a big part of that. So a lot of thinking around how can we most efficiently uh, and most uh, optimally get capital into the hands of of entrepreneurs in our markets. 
Yeah, and I really like sort of what you said about, I mean, CDC having a broad mandate, but at the at the heart of it is making sure that we are sort of remaining productive, inclusive, and um, and sustainable. Uh, and I think if we if we're looking at this issue of no poverty, um, and we kind of look at it within the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the effect of the pandemic is that sort of 30 million people across Africa are now in extreme poverty. Um, And the African Development Bank put out some numbers and they said that actually this number may rise to close to 39 million people by the close of 2021. So it is a pressing issue and it's been exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So considering this, did the CDC have to adopt any particular measures recently to deal with the impact of COVID-19 on poverty in Africa? Yeah, so if if we take the the kind of COVID challenge specifically, we did adopt uh, a three-pronged approach to respond to that. Um, the first bucket was, as I think most institutions were about focusing, was called preserve and was focused on helping our existing investees weather the crisis by providing financial support and advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's obviously key for our role is providing countercyclical funding. Um, the second bucket was strengthened, so we also supported businesses well-placed to respond to economic and health challenges uh, tied to COVID. So there, uh, an example is some of the trade finance work we did with partners such as Standard Chartered, um, and we were able to provide even more systemic liquidity at, at obviously a time of need. And then the final bucket is uh, rebuild which is about looking forward to the future and supporting companies um, that are developing new solutions um, and new business models, as, as we discussed before, and obviously creating jobs along the way to help, um, to, help re- to improve long-term job creation and economic growth to combat poverty. And if I just use a quick example from our portfolio, uh, M Pharma actually fits in a few of those buckets. So M Pharma is an innovative uh, healthcare and pharmaceutical delivery company. Uh, and through COVID, they did some really amazing work uh, with COVID testing. Um, and uh, we supported them through that with funding. And also uh, by using data and experimenting with multiple channels of how to deliver medicine, uh, they're really at the forefront of imagining the future of African healthcare. So that's a good example of a company we supported um, before and through the crisis across kind of multiple uh, multiple buckets where uh, where obviously there's multiple challenges with, with poverty. Absolutely. And I know that M Pharma was a really um, interesting success story to come out of the COVID-19 pandemic, also just because of um, how uh, the intrinsic role that they played to Nigeria's COVID response, their national COVID response, uh, where they really kind of helped upscale uh, the testing capability of the country as well. So I think that's amazing. Um, if we if we look at the evolution of the COVID-19 pandemic in Africa, um, you've given us a great ex- example with M Pharma, but if we look at CDC's portfolio more generally, where would you place your African portfolio in relation to these three pillars? So for you, would you say that for the most part, we are still in preserve or strengthen? Or do you think the end is near, this kind of light at the end of the tunnel? And for the most part, your portfolio is now in rebuild. Where would you place place your portfolio according to these three pillars? Yeah, it's Probably it's hard to say, and obviously uh, we're still very much in the pandemic, and absolutely um, until vaccination rates are, are higher, unfortunately that will remain the case. Um, I think it really depends on the type of business um, and and what country to an extent. But generally speaking, I would say we're between the strengthen and rebuild buckets, 
So there's actually quite a lot, lot of acceleration and there's good funding availability uh, for companies that are looking to build kind of tech-enabled uh, models and, and scale up. So fintech being the obvious example where there's been a lot of headlines this year mm-hmm. uh, and I think more capital than ever. So very much in rebuild. Um, but then, of course, kind of on, on the more local level, um, there's still a huge lack of availability of credit for traditional uh, enterprises looking to scale up their operations and are still recovering from the pandemic. And obviously, we still see a severe uh, impact to companies across our portfolio in their ability to just do the daily operational tasks. Um, and that obviously creates creates bottlenecks for growth and, and, as you mentioned, has forced people back into poverty. So I think it will be a few years still kind of through through the rebuilding, uh, through the strengthen, and then ultimately fully into the rebuild mode in a couple of years' time, hopefully. Yeah, I think so too. But I think, uh, you know, it's interesting because, like you said, it is incredibly difficult to try and gauge um, recovery timelines, not just in Africa, I think, you know, across the board. Um, but I do think that the industry has shown itself to be quite resilient. And and um, I think sort of fingers crossed, you know, with a fair amount of... Uh, of of kind of confidence i think we can see that we're hopefully kind of turning the corner towards um towards kind of where we used to to be um but at the same time we're not we're not there yet so my next question is what can the cdc along with other dfis do differently to fully harness the potential of the private sector to mobilize more private capital um and this is in support of the sdgs but also just in general because we do know that there is a you know um uh, an early stage funding gap on the continent yeah it's it's a, a big question and obviously one we spend a lot of time on um, i think i think there's kind of two or three big areas where we can have uh, an impact. Mm-hmm. One is on demonstrating the potential for strong financial returns. Um, and that is definitely an, an ongoing work, but I think DFIs are just because we're large investors. Um, I think there's a, a big demonstration effect that we can have by showing uh, so good exits and, and returns over the years. And, and hopefully that improves in the coming years, and that will be the key piece to attracting more global capital. The the second piece is around setting standards and principles for impact investing and ESG, just to give uh, a framework for new investors, uh, a way to understand the landscape and key risks. Um, and then, and I think that fits all very well with kind of the current global um, interest level. There's a lot of interest in impact investing as an asset class and bring an ESG lens to investments. Uh, and I think by showing that that is possible or even actually kind of the base case when you're investing in Africa, we can attract a lot of a lot of capital from global asset managers, uh, which, which obviously are going to be key to solving a problem that requires hundreds of billions of dollars over the coming decade. So that was, you said, demonstrating the potential for strong financial returns, um, setting standards and principle for ESG. Was I correct? Was there, was there three? Did I miss the third? No, sorry. Yeah, I, I I missed the third. The third is our ability to take on higher risk. Oh, yes. uh, so again, that that's probably splits uh, in a few buckets, but generally uh, harder geographies, unproven business models, uh, and earlier stage investments. So I think a lot of the work we can do is help uh, broaden and and unlock some of that early stage potential, as we discussed earlier, especially entrepreneurial potential. Mm-hmm. And get companies to a scale where they're then ready to raise from global investors 
uh, larger investor, large, larger investment rounds um, and build businesses. So a lot of the work we're doing is thinking about how can we as an institution channel more capital to, to early stage companies. Yeah, um, I have a question sort of around this kind of the second uh, point that you made about setting standards and principles for ESG as a way to attract more private capital. Um, I know that, you know, the impact investing in Africa is is unique, again, because of the, pre- the predominance of DFI financing, um, which makes means that, you know, impact is, is at the center of, of a lot of investment mandates for, for fund managers and also just in general um, um, LPs that are looking to to invest in, in, in Africa. But my question is, as we're setting these uh, principles and these standards, do you think that there's a uniquely African conception of impact that needs to be acknowledged when we're framing how we invest in, on the continent and even framing perhaps how we address the SDGs or is it a one-size-fits-all approach where whatever is developed for as impact uh, standards and principles uh, across the globe and, and it can, can be applied on the continent quite easily? Yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a great question. I think it's, it's complicated and, and depends, depends who you ask. Uh, I, I think one point worth noting is that Africa is actually very much on the forefront of the conversation in setting standards. Um, so in, in some sense, it's way ahead of the curve. And, and actually, when you look at impact investing and how it's done is much more meaningful in, in Africa than, mm-hmm. than in other geographies. Um, I think ultimately the, the principles that we're working with, so operating principles for impact and the impact management project, just to give two examples, are, are fairly... Uh, straightforward and uh, obviously first principles based. So they're generally, I think, universally applicable, but then of course, and how they're actually implemented and adopted varies greatly from different asset classes and different investors. Um, so I, I think they are universally relevant, but how they're actually adopted will require work from local investors and companies to make it contextually relevant. And I think that's something that everyone in the world is, is definitely still figuring out. Um, I think a big part of what we see is having the right frameworks in place, but ultimately it really comes down to um, real world impacts. So not making it a box checking exercise and actually getting down to, okay, what makes my business more resilient? What makes my workers more productive and obviously protects uh, my consumers' interests as well? Yeah, I would agree. And I think I like that you kind of mentioned sort of this hybrid approach where we are trying to kind of um, have universal standards, but at the same time, not stick to them quite, you know, rigidly and, and apply them contextually um, so that they do just suit the needs uh, um, and, and the, the context that they're in. Um, and CDC has been, you know, at the forefront of this for a very long time, has sort of been championing development financing for the last 70 years or so, um, and is a large leading global impact investor. So in your view, what is the future of private investment in Africa and which SDGs are catalytic for Africa's sustainable development going forward? Uh, I, I think we're just at the beginning of a huge uh, increase in, in shift in capital to emerging markets generally. And I mean, Africa is, is probably the most big, the most significant shift that will happen just given how little private capital there is today and the scale of the investment needs that are required. So I think over the coming decades, uh, you're going to see a lot of investors uh, looking for assets. And a lot of that will just 
given where climate changes and various development challenges, a lot of that will bring an e impact or ESG lens. And we're already seeing kind of most of the big global investors adopt that lens in terms of how they first tackle um, opportunities in the continent today. Mm -hmm. the, and so, so I think just like globally, the availability of capital finding its way to invest in the right opportunities on the continent is, is obviously a work in progress, but I, I think it's, there's good reason to be optimistic there. Um, the big second trend that's worth highlighting is, well, it was, will also not be a surprise to anyone, but is the significant acceleration in the degree of technological disruption and decentralization. And I think that's Again, where Africa has a particular strength in terms of uh, entrepreneurial uh, talent and resilience. Uh, and I think we're, we are seeing some pretty exciting uh, companies come up and disintermedi disintermediation happen in sectors such as ag tech, fintech, and logistics, where information technology is creating the potential for suppliers to work directly with end markets. Uh, and obviously that, that can have a huge impact on everyone from smallholder farmers um, to informal retailers. Um, so I guess I would hi highlight companies like Twiga Foods, Apollo Agriculture and iProcure and the work they're doing in Kenya to bring uh, smallholder farmers in particular into agricultural supply chains. And that can obviously make the economies more efficient, but also makes them more inclusive in terms of how farmers are able to uh, work in economies. And I think, I think that's where the potential for acceleration um, and also the alignment between impact and financial goals is really clear. And I think you'll see a huge increase in the number of you know, M-PESAs um, and uh, Kobo 360s and some of the other logistics companies I mentioned in coming years because I think they've found good product market fit and it, investors clearly see that they can deliver both impact and financial goals. Whether that will play out is, is anyone's guess at this point, but I think there's definitely um, an emerging uh, thesis around that trend. Yeah, and I do think so, you know, you mentioned information technology as a vertical that's just exploded on the continent. And I think, um, you know, we one of the things that sort of talks about quite a lot is just the potential that that brings um, as Internet penetration um, sort of deepens on the continent and, and, and we're kind of able to digitally leapfrog um, quite quickly. Uh, I know that in your portfolio there is... Um, a company in Kenya called Poa Internet. Um, that, that's quite interesting. And I think you gave some really good examples. You mentioned Trika Foods and Apollo Agriculture and how they're harnessing technology um, and what that what that's doing to revolutionize the the agriculture industry. But I'm curious to know um, what's what's uh, wh why you invested in Poa Internet and what they're doing to um, uh, going back to our focus on, on no poverty and on the SDGs to make uh, uh, access to the, these uh, digital gains more more um, equitable for for Africans. Yeah, great, no, great framing. I think um, probably important to circle back there to how we invest uh, in companies like POA, um, which is as we mentioned before, it is harder for global investors, including DFIs, to make smaller, earlier stage investments. And so, a lot of the work we do in the SME and VC segments is through local investment funds. Uh, and a great example of that is Novastar Ventures, which is a fund manager we backed first in 2014 and also invested in their second fund a few years ago. Uh, and Novastar is an impact-focused venture firm uh, investing across Africa with a presence in Nairobi and 
in Lagos. And they're actually the key investor, uh, one of the key investors behind POA Internet. Um, and the thesis there is is very indicative of Novastar's thesis, which is that uh, innovative companies can uh, provide access to essential services for mass market populations. So the team at POA has spent quite a few years experimenting with different models to deliver an affordable internet product that consumers really want to use. Uh, and, and a lot, I won't go into detail because it's, it's, it's complicated and um, took, took time to find product market fit, but I think mm-hmm. they found a really great at-home uh, Wi-Fi product, which is seeing huge uptake in Nairobi. And obviously having access to internet is, is key for uh, economic development now, I think pretty widely accepted. So that's one example. And in addition to POA, I think similar examples with companies like Penda Health in the affordable healthcare space mm-hmm. uh, and Kamaza in the in the smallholder farmer forestry space. So it, it, it is a good example of an innovative company, still pretty early in its journey, but delivering a service to consumers that could potentially be game-changing. Yeah. Um, Ross, if I may just kind of circle back to earlier in our conversation, can um, you alluded it to, to it just now uh, when we're talking about POA Internet. So you mentioned that CDC invested in Novastar Ventures um, and that one of the ways that you're able to um, support uh, SMEs in Africa is uh, making investments in, in funds. Um, so I think my question is kind of looking at the venture capital industry more long term um, as we give the industry time and room to mature. Um, do you think that the CDC will kind of be, uh, transition um, into more direct investments on the higher end of the spectrum? So larger ticket sizes for more mature companies um, in the VC space um, it's sort of going forward and 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 not, not, not necessarily leaving this early stage approach by any means because we know how important important it is um, and how catalytic it is. But I think, um, do you see the industry maturing to a stage where the CDC will be investing in larger ticket sizes going forward? Great question. Uh, And I think to just to set the scene clearly, so CDC uh, has kind of a full coverage of the the capital ladder. So one of the things that makes us a, a great partner is we have the ability through funds to invest at the earliest stages, as we were just discussing in the case of Novastar, through early stages of growth. Uh, and so there we often use co-investment strategies, investing alongside our fund managers, all the way through to later stages of growth uh, and, and, of course, large private equity checks. So we have uh, a large team uh, based both in market and in London doing direct investments. Uh, and then we also have teams that are focused on investing through funds. And that I think allows us to ensure we're addressing the full uh, full spectrum of needs of, of entrepreneurs at every phase of their journey. I think the main goal for us going forward is to make sure that's as synced up as possible and there's no major gaps in that capital ladder and that at later stages, we're able to build on the relationships uh, we have with companies through our funds early and be seen as a, a capital provider of choice. No, that makes sense. Um, so... If thinking about the 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 capital ladder and and um looking specifically at impact investing as as an asset class and how that um how that is changing um you mentioned earlier that there's been a bit of a change in the narrative that um 
you know, impact investing and strong returns need not need be mutually um, incompatible. There, you know, there's a general awareness now that that um, you can have strong returns. And one of the ways that you mentioned that we can catalyze more, um, more, more ca- capital coming into Africa is by highlighting um, and demonstrating the potential for strong returns. Um, so, do you think that it will be a trickle down effect uh, where? Um, will be able to attract more more capital, um, specifically impact focused capital to Africa when we see more of these big uh, large private equity firms um, adopting an, an ESG mandate. Do you think that will trickle down um, to to other um, private equity fund managers on the continent as well? Yes, I think I think it's probably fair to say globally most major institutional investors will have major ESG focus in their investments. Um, I think it's fair that probably Africa will be more front and center, um, just given the nature of some of the investments and also the type of capital that's available. So generally speaking, I, I think the key factor that's still needed is the financial returns i think regardless of for most for the for the vast majority of capital out there no one is going to invest on impact alone so they need to see both i think that the forward thinking about impact can help people move faster and earlier and take more risk that i mean that's definitely how we think about it so i think it can accelerate the flow of global capital to the continent the the emphasis on esg and africa as a natural home for global investors with esg impact mandates um cuz just naturally the most investments on the continent will will check those buckets check those boxes for investors that want to put more into to impact and i hope i think that will unlock more capital for companies but also for local funds and that's something we feel very strongly about is in venture capital having local fund managers uh, be the key decision makers that are deciding which entrepreneurs to fund and ultimately hopefully build a, a sustainable ecosystem um, that is that is very contextual and uh, built for Africans, uh, for Africa by Africans. Mm. Um, and I know that that's sort of been a narrative that's been championed quite a lot, I think, in the last, I would say, decade or so as African solutions to African problems. So I think that's that um, having an approach where African um, fund managers are front and center and are uh, in, in the right place to, to um, kind of steer the ship and, and, and guide um, um, the, the the industry on 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 where we kind of go in the future is a really good idea. Um, my question now sort of is: is we spent a lot of time uh, looking at um, SDG one and no poverty and and how the CDC is working towards um, that particular um, SDG. But I know that there's quite a lot of other examples from from your portfolio um, across the, you know the range of the SDGs. So. Are there any that you'd like to highlight now that um, any sort of themes and opportunities that you're seeing across your funds portfolio um, in Africa that are addressing different sustainable development goals? I think there, there are so many examples. Um, so a you know, few spaces that are exciting and I think early stages are ed tech and ag tech. Um, and we mentioned a few earlier that are mm-hmm. allowing smallholder farmers better access to both inputs and and markets. 
And similarly, I think Africa's early on the ed tech horizon, but we're seeing more companies uh, such as Ulesson in Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, really raising some amounts of capital and starting to scale the services they offer and geographically. Maybe one quick area I think um, that's very active at the moment, and I think we'll see a lot of movement in the coming years, is actually more around, uh, again, SDG1 and employment creation. Mm-hmm. But is about how we're, companies are enabling micro entrepreneurship, especially in the informal retail segment. Uh, so if we take companies like Twiga Foods, Trade Depot in Nigeria, Maxab in Egypt, um, all all using technology to make FMCG supply chains more efficient, and giving informal retailers and micro entrepreneurs in Africa the tools to manage their businesses more efficiently. Uh, and also that will come with uh, access to financial services to scale up more. So again, I think kind of the, the biggest trend that we're focused on is definitely the enablement of of entrepreneurs kind of all stages. And I think that will be the trend that probably most impacts economic growth in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, I would agree with that. Um, thank you very much, Ross. I do have sort of one question for you as we wrap up. Um and it, it's just kind of, you know, we spoke at, at the beginning about your your background and um, how you sort of came to be involved in, in investing, uh, working in, in private investment in Africa. Uh, so this is more of a personal question. And it's just asking you, what is exciting to you about the innovation ec- ecosystem in Africa? And also, you can if you would rather answer that more generally, more broadly for emerging markets. But I'm just curious about about what excites you going forward and what we should be looking for. Sure, I think. The most exciting thing is is probably still how early it is, mm-hmm. uh, and then it's still the narrative is still being crafted. Uh, the the key creators are still coming up, so it's it's exciting to meet people early in their journey uh, with new ideas and and see see those things gain traction and and see kind of leaders uh, start to emerge in, in the various ecosystems on the continent. So. Yeah, I think I think just for us to to be able uh, to play a role in that and support support aspiring entrepreneurs and investors that are trying to build the future and write that story is super exciting and uh, definitely feeling optimistic that we're going to see a lot more of that in the coming years. Mm, I think that's the most exciting thing about kind of watching um, the industry mature and what, you know, it's kind of been tutored as the last frontier. Um, and that does come with challenges, absolutely, because you're charting a new path and um, kind of wading into new territory. But at the same time, there's just um, quite a lot to be excited about, quite a lot to see that's changing really rapidly. So I would agree that that's um, kind of an exciting thing to be looking forward to in the next few years. Um, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ross, for joining us on PE Talks Africa. It's been a pleasure and a delight having you on today um, and getting a chance just to uh, pick your brain a little bit on the future of impact investment and the role of private capital um, that can play in championing sustainable development in Africa. So thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Paul. No, it's been great and really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. As have I. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. To find out more about what we do in Africa, please visit our website at www.avca-africa.org. 
You can also follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn to keep up with the latest news and updates in the private equity and venture capital industry in Africa.